Welcome back to the podcast B-Sides. This is fun. This is the first time we've been able to immediately record a B-Side Trifina and hopefully it goes really well. Maybe it'll be a disaster. Well, we were drinking in the last, in, in the actual interview. So. We were drinking in the interview. We've both cut ourselves off because there will be a time later today where we have to do responsible adult things. Yes. Uh, and so we are making responsible adult choices right now. Yes. But uh, we were just discussing the major problem with Jonathan Martin. He's too humble, Jonathan Martin. He's too humble. He's and too humble. Like and the problem is, is that you start sharing your life because he's such an amazing listener and he offers such a safe space and he, and he offers you that permission, mm-hmm. right? That he talks about and that the book did very much so for me. Yeah. Um, and so you end up suckered into his safe, loving arms and as a podcast host, you're trying to ask insightful questions to display his wisdom, of which there is a great amount of wisdom. Yes, yes. But even when you ask him a question, he's like, oh, well, I love that. And then it just, it turns into, I'm like, just go, just tell us all of your brilliance. And instead it's this beautiful conversation, which you know what? I actually think he embodies the idea of like, he's a He's a, like a prophetic wisdom guide. What's a, a wise elder and not a king, right? He's like, I'm not here to like give you all of my wisdom. I'm like, no, but I want your wisdom because you've lived this and you've grappled with it. And yeah, he's just yes. a soul. Yes, but that's this is so interesting because because the the mediums that we communicate with, whether it's book or podcast, written word. Uh, microphone at church, podium, mm-hmm. whatever. Those mediums are not neutral. And no. the way that they position someone have impact. And, and it's kind of like, like Mark Shelsky and I talk about this all the time, that the way we do our work must be contiguous with the, the message of our work. Yeah, oh, that's we, good. And so, so, so I think in, it's actually very integrous. Like mm-hmm. I think Jonathan, the fact is, is Jonathan Martin is just consistently himself. Yeah. And so, and so we might want him to sit here and and perform authoritatively. Yeah. But but that's not the man. No. And so, you, what you get invited to instead is an intimate conversation where, as you said, our hearts were burning. They were, I was too. I was just like, I don't want this to end, but I'm looking at the clock and I know he's got another interview. And I know, felt like a Bridgerton moment. Like my heart burns. Okay, sorry. Um, but, oh my goodness, I'm Jonathan. I'm so pleased that the particular kind of, <laughs> of adjective you used for impassioned burning of heart is Bridgerton. Let it be clear that I thoroughly enjoyed Bridgerton season one. I have not watched any of Bridgerton season two because I just don't have time. Season two is when like the South Asian comes to shine. Also, I can't get my husband to watch either of them with me. So if there's no Rejajan, I'm not there. No, he is beautiful. Okay. I changed my mind on drinking bourbon while we do interviews. (laughs) We had just agreed we should do all interviews with bourbon. And clearly now we have decided we shall do no more interviews with bourbon, but that's Jonathan Martin's fault. Yes. Okay. But honestly, so sorry, going back, I'm going to like rein it in here. Um, 
Jonathan, what were you talking about? Okay, here's a quote from Jonathan Martin. If you want to know Jesus, the invitation mm -hmm. is not come and pray a prayer, but taste and see that the Lord is good. Cheers. Cheers. Um, and I think that's, I think again, that's kind of what Jonathan is embodying. I think that's yeah. part of, such a huge part of his message. Um, I, I was looking back over the notes of our interview from two years ago mm -hmm. and listening into some of what we had discussed last time. And it was, it was again, some similar themes in terms of God being present in all the mess. Yeah. And I think really that's, that's a lot of, of his core message yeah. is, is wherever you are and whatever road you're on, whatever darkness you find yourself and you're not alone. There is yeah. a, there is a, a love with you and not just a nebulous love, a love that maybe, maybe you're going to call the light or maybe you're going to call any number of different names, but a love that you are also welcome and invited to call Jesus of Nazareth. Hmm. Yeah. And, the, and so Crystal, like even taking it back two seconds, just even when we talk, when you spot, spoke about the idea of like not being disingenuous when you have some sort of a platform. And so, because right now we're speaking and there's mics in front of our face, somehow there's this ideal that we have it all together, but I love what Jonathan Martin did and what he embodies is that, you know, we don't have to have it all together and we're all on this journey and that love is walking with us on the journey. that Jesus is walking with us on this journey. And I feel like that's actually really profound and powerful because so much of what we have been taught. And we talked about like this whole like idea of like in the generation that we came up in, we were taught, if you do things one way, then it'll be an equation. It's like two plus two equals four. If you do this, God's going to do this for you. Right. Totally. And I think so much of that was taught to us because pastors and leaders were trying to make a sermon point. Mm. So just umbrella of grace. It was like, Hey, I was in this place and I did this and this is how God showed up. But really it didn't show all the messiness in between. And it didn't show the fact that actually right now things are not completely perfect and tomorrow things might change. Yeah. Um, and I think that is what I really appreciated about Jonathan Martin. And even about this conversation that we're having is that it's messy and it's not perfect. And like Richard Rohr talks about, like it's cyclical and often we're going in cycles and sometimes that means we're going backwards and we're going full circle or whatever that looks like. Um, but in all of the mess of life that we can be grounded in God, like the God of love, Jesus of Nazareth, walking it with us. Yeah, seriously. Uh, I'm just going to read a bunch of Jonathan Martin quotes, I think, for oh. the length of this B-side because Amazing. I highlighted so much to that point. Jonathan writes, if you missed the exit, then God missed it too. Yeah. God, as it turns out, is where you are. If where you are is where God is, then where you are is where you're supposed to be. Which doesn't that flip everything on its head? Like you have agency. You have free will to make those decisions and God is with you. Sorry, okay, go on. Keep no, I'm with you 100%. Uh, I love this. He also wrote that I put thematically in the same area of my document. Love doesn't need a permission slip to follow you into the heart of darkness. <laughs> because again, like we've been raised with such a like 
well, that person's not a follower of Jesus. Yeah. They're not a believer. And, and that, that somehow implies some level of isolation, of cut-offness from God. And I certainly don't mean to, like, for, okay, if you're, if you're listening and you have a marked point in your life where you decided to turn and follow Jesus, like, great. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't mean to devalue any sense of, of, like, switch that you experienced in your life. Like, I have many friends who are like, yeah, yeah, I felt like the lights came on. Yeah, I felt like a heaviness lifted and I, and I moved in the direction of hope and love. I'm like, yeah, like, that's it. But, mm-hmm. but you moved in the direction of hope and love because something inspired you to, yeah. right? And, and surely it was not a sense of abandonment, right? It's an invitation, it's like, yeah, there's a goodness. Yeah, there's a, there's a pull. There's a pulse. There's a something um, that I don't even have words for that I'm going to move in the direction of. Hmm. And, maybe, and maybe that did come through the sinner's prayer. I think that's so... I loved at the end where he, Jonathan was like, it's, the Spirit's actually present on both sides, Right including the places we've deemed as, as toxic and have written off. Mm-hmm. I wrote um, it down. Everyone has access to the spirit. Mm, like that right there. Because I think, yeah, for, for us moving into more liberated spaces mm-hmm. and even just, again, having come off this holiday and spent time with people who would categorically not identify themselves as religious at all. They would, um, some some friends would be like, yeah, we're we're secular. We don't believe in in God or gods. But I witness them lean into supernatural levels of grace. Mm. I witness them access the Holy Spirit. Yeah, come on. And I think that's the liberation that I've come to is to see. Ah, yes, but look at all these people who don't have the the badge sewn on their their jackets, but they're still accessing the Holy Spirit. But I'm reminded that the people that perhaps I have, I don't know, written off or would like to written off, or at least in the shower when I'm ranting, the people that I've written off also have access to the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And there are those, those, those moments, those glimpses where truth and hope and life break, break through and they speak a word of peace to somebody uh, even in the spaces that we've had to distance ourselves from because they came, they became destructive in our lives. Yeah. Um, he said something, I forget the exact word he used, but it, but it was really just like, just trusting. He was talking about, I think his, about the table and about the group and about just trusting each other's discernment. Yeah. And I'm just like, man, that is so easy to say as an ideal. But I think that's rare. Okay, so I was just having this conversation this morning with another friend on how there's so much power in the corporate discernment, Mm -hmm. right? Because you have people who show up with different life experiences, different cultural experiences, and who look different, right? So really simply, a worship song that one person can sing, and it it does not trigger them at all, can be very triggering to someone else. Because one so many of our worship songs sound like sexual innuendos. And so then like, <laughs> I'm really winning tonight, but look, so there's, there's something that can be triggering in your own body, 
right? Another thing yeah. as a person of color, how something can respond, like you can react to something based on your life experience. And so I think, I think there was so much power in him saying there had to be uni unity there. There wasn't uniformity, but yeah. everybody needed to discern peace in these situations because everyone was showing up with a different experience. And so you're going to access different parts of Holy Spirit in that way, maybe. Um, yeah, I think so. And, and, and I think that unity doesn't strictly have to mean that you all agree or that you all agree to the same amount. It can even be, you know what, guys, I have trepidation mm. on this subject, yeah. but if, but if y'all can hold my hand, maybe this is not going to be what I fear it's going to be. That's good. Uh, I'm, I'm willing to be led by my friends in this area. Yeah. I have a lot of fear and I, maybe I don't even trust my own discernment at present because I know this is a sphere of great prior pain and fear for me. Mm -hmm. But if everyone else is willing and feels good, can you, can I be safe enough to share that? Maybe I'm the odd one out. Maybe I already feel self-aware and ashamed that I'm the odd one out, but I don't have to stay on the outside. I I'm also being courageous that I can be led with you. Hmm. Like, I think that like we have so few models, I think yeah. so few concrete examples of what this kind of unity looks like. Yeah. I think that there's so, there's such greater degree of variance in how community relationships can really play out. So I, did I interrupt you? Okay. I, was really struck in his book when he spoke about reading scripture or scripture, Judaic scripture, rabbinic scripture was meant to be read within a faithful community. Mm. Like those two words, faithful community meant so much to me because even as you're talking about unity can look different and some of it just means, Hey, I'm nervous. Can you hold my hand in it? That means you're part of a faithful community that's going to be with you in the ins and outs, right? Yes. As much as we continue to deconstruct purity culture in my own personal life, not putting this on anyone, I love the idea of sex within marriage because I'm like, it's messy and it's complicated. And so to be in that faithful community where we can figure it out together is beautiful. So when, I love how we talked about scripture was meant to happen within that covenant space, what was meant to be read within that covenant space. So you can dialogue about it and question and build on the questioning. And I just, you're right that we don't have a lot of models of faithful community. Like how do we genuinely do that and genuinely agree to show up in all of our messiness and all of our pain, you know, like walk that road, like that Emmaus road of hopelessness and still love each other and not cancel somebody out because of a viewpoint that they take. Totally. We don't agree with. Yeah, totally. It's, it requires a, a, so many things, right? Like, like, like what we're describing is something that's robust. Yeah. That is uh, very dynamic, mm -hmm. flexible. Yeah. But profoundly robust. And that I think requires of each individual, a great measure of, peace, self-acceptance. Since, man, since we, since we interviewed Sweeney, I know I said this to you on the phone the other day, we, I, I keep coming back to this thing that he talked about in the book about, about when our value is called into question. Yeah. You know, and, and he's, 
I think I forget the chapter, but I think it was like in the subject where like the thing that we're upset about isn't really the thing. Yeah. yeah. And underneath all of that is that when when my wife or my friend or someone does says something or acts in a certain way and it triggers me, mm-hmm. it's because in the past I felt devalued yeah. when this kind of thing happened. Or maybe it is a maybe it just triggers a memory of a child from my childhood when something happened, right? And so again we were on vacation and we were connecting with friends we haven't seen in some cases in 10 years. And there are dynamics, right? There, there are ways of relating and- You're not the same person you were 10 years ago. You're not the same person anymore and neither are they. No. But uh, there was one particular or two, at least one that I can recall where there was a friend who, who said something in a way that I felt was dismissive of what I just said. And I immediately went to, ah, this guy, he's always, you know, and, and, and the whole thing played off in my head was he hasn't changed. He hasn't grown at all. And, and I remember just sitting there with myself and okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. What, what about what just took place Mm -hmm. called your value into question? Okay. Yes. It felt like this person didn't listen to what I said. Okay. So, Jonathan, is your value in question? Mm. No. No, it is not. Okay. And I think from, I think, you, I think yeah, coming back, this is community, right? Like, I, it takes a lot, for, I think, for us each to grow to that place where we can sit with our value and where mm. we can disagree and where we can even argue and even disconnect and even have what feels a little disconcerting. Yeah. Um, but still sit with my value is not being questioned. I, I mean, I think you can then follow that road further to say, actually, my value is not even questionable. Mm, come on. Yeah. But I mean, baby steps, right? Yeah. Okay. So with that said, absolutely. Like our value is not questionable. As Jonathan Puddle would say, we are enough. But as, like, I think one of the things that Jonathan Martin said today was interesting was just the idea of sometimes there's still power in giving people permission and freedom to go on the journey. You're almost like calling out like their identity, calling out like that God part on them, right? And there is something really significant about that. I, I, I get perplexed in our culture where we get so stuck in using people's proper pronouns. I'm like, hey, if we can call somebody by the identity that they're seeing on themselves, there's actually something so empowering about somebody affirming what you're seeing, like who you are. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm digressing. But anyways, I do think- But even no, but I think that, okay, that makes perfect sense. In, in the prophetic community at the church that I grew up in, I remember then somebody- somebody had changed their name from like a short, a short form nickname of their name to their full name. And they were in their thirties. And they said, you know what? I have felt that it's time for me to lean into the full meaning and form of my name. Mm-hmm. And everybody respected that. And sure. A handful of people just got, it was difficult in their head because they were Absolutely. used to one thing, Yeah. but a six months to two years tops and everyone's made the change. Yeah. Um, is it so hard to apply that to pronouns or even 
gender swapped names and so on and so forth i don't know seems not yeah or seems like it shouldn't be (laughs) because if your worth didn't just come from who you are and we get to be the body of christ and call out that worth on people like what why has it become so difficult anyways i i i really have digressed here but i do i do think there is so much power in what he said and what you're saying and that our worth cannot be revoked from us yeah Yeah. but sometimes sometimes it's helpful Mm -hmm. to have someone call it out in us yes i like that not technically necessary no um but sometimes helpful yeah you know what? Like some of my biggest moments of growth have been my husband speaking life over me because to have someone who knows you and loves you and is like, Hey, like you can do this. There's power in that. Yeah. Right. Okay. So pivoting a little bit, one of the biggest parts of the book that just stood out to me, I mean, there was so much, and I said this to Jonathan where it just felt like he was speaking to so much of what I, like the conversations I'm having in real time. I was thinking about you while reading the book. I'm like, (laughs) this is like Charvina's whole life. Go on. I'm taking that as a compliment. Um, You should. (laughs) But um, when he was talking about Jesus as a young boy and how he, you know, like Jesus was without sin and Jonathan Martin talked about like, like, you know, he, believes that Jesus was without sin. So when he separated from his parents and he was in the temple asking questions, it wasn't that he was being defiant. Um, And you could almost like, you could see everybody just being like, oh, this cute young boy who's asking all of these questions. And then Jesus chose in his agency to go back and to sacrifice and to be with his parents for that season for to take, you know, those two decades, which itself, even as a stay-at-home parent just really spoke to me like, okay, like there is space for my agency of sacrifice right now while I care for others um but then moving and then but then when he went out into the world it's like oh you were a cute boy until you started to show your own power and advocate for people and you started to call our our power into question and sometimes so that like that's when jesus needed to move away from home yeah yeah so real And that just really spoke to, I think, where I'm at too, in my own existence of like, okay, there are, or or just, you know what, let me just be honest, like even in terms of parenting, I'm like, oh, I want to say that I want to raise kids who are robust and who advocate for themselves and who exemplify their own agency and all this stuff. And then really when the rubber hits the road, I'm like, no, I don't like you calling out my shit. I don't really like you advocating for yourself to the level that you're advocating. For even this, and I'm just, there was just so much profoundness in that moment, one into my own parenting, but two into how I live my life and what spaces are safe for my body to return to Mm. and to not return to. Yes. As you still show up as like, I don't know, does anyone else have this experience where they go to their parents' house? And I'm not saying this about my parents, but I go to my parents' house and immediately I'm a 15 year old teenager. Immediately I'm like, oh, this is like, I'm just like, the attitude comes in. I'm like bored. I'm not parenting my own kids anymore. And I'm like, oh, I, and I, like, I need to be careful about the spaces I return to where I am not congruent with the person that I'm 
right now is a yeah. grown woman. That's so good. That congruency is it, right? Yes. I've, I, I remember going um, to a conference at, at Easter mm-hmm. that, you know, I used to help run and mm. hadn't been involved in in years. And I remember walking through the doors and basically asking myself, Jonathan, will you be congruent? Will you be intent? Will you be integrous? What, 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 what do you want? What do you want out of this? What do you want to carry out of this? And what do you, how, how do you want to be here? Mm-hmm. And I think I was just coming back to, to, you know, this Eugene Peterson thing of, I just want to be myself. Yeah. I just want to, just want to be myself and saying, okay, well you, you can, I give you permission. And if it's confusing or painful, it's okay. I'll be here with you. You're not alone. Um, and I, and I think that invitation within that then to sit in discernment Mm. that as the voices come around you and, and begin to interact with you as you were the 15 year old, Mm -hmm. and there's that pull because we all desire, I think as adults, we are so wired to successfully communicate Mm that we will slip into weird behavior because we know how to communicate in that way. Does that make sense? Like, put, yeah. here's another example. An example in, yeah. in, in Finland, I didn't learn the language because mm-hmm. I needed to communicate and everybody spoke English. And so for me to learn Finnish would be to downgrade our ability to communicate in the here and now. Mm-hmm. A child, does not have that problem because a child does not yet have the the overriding necessity to communicate, uh, at least cognitively and and like linguistically. So children pick up language because they're not trying to communicate, whereas an adult is trying to communicate. And so language is difficult. And so you end up not learning new things because you default to the things that you already have. I think that's part of what happens in when we go back to old spaces. On the one hand, we have our own programming, yeah? And we have our own memories. We have our own ways of taking up space historically when we were in those spaces. But conversely, we have our way of responding to the expectations that other people have, Mm -hmm. right? That guy who always was smarmy comes in to give you that weird hug and you just go with it because you always did. And even though now you are like, yeah, I respect my body. I have my boundaries. And you walk away from that going, oh, what did I just do? Yeah. Why did I? Yeah. Because it's not just you, but it's you reacting. Mm-hmm. And I think we end up with such a desire to communicate and not be awkward and, fun- and just appear like functional adults that we actually end up incongruous. Yeah. Versus kids give zero shits. Like how many times? Yeah. How many times do you ask a kid a question? And like, I ask my kid a question. They literally turn around and walk away. Like, it's like, I don't want to answer your question. So I'm leaving. Like, I don't want to say hi to that person. So I'm leaving. And I'm like, oh. Right. Now, of course, our previous generations would say, give your grandmother a hug. Yeah. You know, give that person a hug, you know, whatever. And just kind of enforce it. Yeah. Uh, Anyway. I think all, all of that is just coming back to this thing of discernment, right? Like uh, somebody walks over to me is like, hey, you know, so, so a, a, a figure of authority from my previous life 
uh, comes over to me and has ways of interacting with me. And I can remember all of my historical ways of interacting. Mm -hmm. And, and I have competing desires in my head. One is to not be awkward. And one is to uh, communicate. And I can, I can tell that that person has an expectation of how the next four and a half seconds are going to go. And I know how to play that, that game, but I can also, and I can discern, okay, would this be a, uh, compromise of any part of my personhood or of Mm -hmm. the place that I inhabit today? Is this safe for my body or not? Mm -hmm. And I get to choose because I have agency. I can choose to, to do the old school handshake with that, whatever I used to do with this person, or I can just be like hands on hips. Hey, how's it going? And I have the choice to the, to the freedom to make the choice. And, uh, and I think, yeah, like that thing of coming back to this discernment over and over and over again, like that agency of discerning. Yes. We were talking about this yesterday as well, of like how much I am realizing from so much of my discernment is actually trying something out, right? It's like, oh, I'm going to hug right. you and see how it feels right now. And maybe next time I'm going to realize that was not comfortable for me. Mm. And that's the boundary I can lay down. Or in the past, I would have been like, oh my gosh, I hugged this person and and I gave into like what they wanted. And I didn't like, my body didn't feel safe. And I'd be like berating myself about it. And I'm like, oh, like Trifini, you gave up your power or whatever it is. Right. And it's like, no, actually I tried something and that's okay. And I'm honoring how my body feels moving forward. And sometimes in some situations, I will just be fully honest. It feels safer to not okay, this is, this is going to come out problematic and just umbrella of grace. It feels safer to not fight it. And I'm not saying that, like, I'm not talking about rape. I'm just saying like, so even today I was in an uncomfortable situation. I'm like, you know what? It feels safer right now in my body, knowing the emotional capacity I have to not like, call you on what you just said and to just move on because I don't have the emotional capacity. And then I needed to discern like, okay, so is there a part of that that's fear or is there just like me, I'm honoring my body and be like, I'm not wasting my anger and my conversation and my peace on you in this situation. But yeah, I think you're like. But I, and I mean, I don't want to, you just tell me if I'm speaking outside of my zone. <laughs> men also get raped. And, yes, 100%. Um, and, and, you know, you said I'm not talking about rape, but even when you, but even talking about sexual assault. Yep. There is a space sometimes where a body will say, if I fight, I might die. If I don't fight, I might survive. And that does not mean I'm giving consent. No. Yes. But I would like to survive rather than die. Yeah. And I think that that does happen in our, in our families, in our spiritual communities, uh, in our various kinds of relationships. I don't have the capacity to fight, to, to identify this microaggression to, to whatever, Yeah. but I would like to survive. And it might even be that I would like this relationship to survive in some way. And maybe that's because like 20 years from now, I want my children to have a relationship with their grandparents or whatever the case may be, you know, or the uncle or who just to whatever. Sometimes you know, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to pick my battles, not because I'm laying down and dying, but because I'm specifically not dying. And like emotional about, yeah, it a hundred percent. I was 
and I, I was having this conversation this week of just the power of our bodies because someone was lamenting their lack of emotional ability to feel or the way they felt they were struggling to feel. And I was like, do you realize how incredible and courageous it is that your body has protected you where you have walked through trauma after trauma and it had to shut down. It mm. had to shut down your ability to feel for you to survive. Right. And so often, so many of the reactions that we have are these incredible survival techniques even our panic attacks, right? It's like our body is calling things to our attention. And we just, yeah, I struggle with this. I struggle with this with anger. Um, this conversation has gone all over, all over the place, but I'm going to keep going. So I struggle with anger, especially when it comes to racial injustice and in my own life, right? Like, so part of my story is I'm raising two beautiful mixed race kids. And sometimes that's really people are really garbage about that. Mm. And I have had to struggle with what it like looks like to be congruent and to show up in spaces and be like, this is who I am. And honestly, today I'm angry. But for me to tell people that I'm angry, unfortunately, sometimes it means I need to explain why I'm angry. Right. And so it's like, what's that line of like, I'm here to be angry and be myself, but not explain my anger. But also my anger is not performative. I'm not here. So, you know, your whiteness is like, oh, I like supported somebody of color today who felt really upset. Okay. I'm, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I was going with that, Jonathan. I just, it's messy and it's nuanced and each and every situation can look different and feel different. And there's no shame in how we handle each situation. Mm. Yeah, that's so real. Yeah. And like, and can we and 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 can I give you the dignity to let you figure that out, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. In in our friendship, hopefully, you feel the safety to mm -hmm. process, to share, to choose to not share to sometimes be like, hey, I'm going to give you the Coles Notes version and we're not going to talk about it because that's not what we're here to do today. And there may be other times where we do and all that's okay. And and I'm not forcing you into it, into anything. And I mean, I can, in my head, this is all the same as, as the two guys walking away from Jerusalem, heartbroken. Yeah. yeah. Going, okay, everything that we thought we knew about how this thing worked was already dangerous and was already risky we already thought we were being brave yeah and now we're just screwed hopeless broken like i feel like that's the insult to injury right like faith faith, faith is is injury and then just comes this insult that faith doesn't change anything like like okay it does but uh there's this <laughs> quote that i wrote in my notes with the big fu jonathan martin beside it faith does not offer a qualitatively different experience of being human no it's so good and i'm like get out <laughs> i don't want to talk to you anymore <laughs> you're not my friend that was the whole point faith does not offer a qualitatively different experience of being human and he goes on to say that it does offer a different lens of engaging with human life, basically. Yeah. That we 
get permission, we learn, we, we gain capacity to see that, I love the way he put it, that, that the story we're telling about our life is not mm. the story God is telling about our life. Yeah. That was just so rich. It's profound. Profound. Like I need, I, th- I, f- like I already feel like that's something that I'm going to come back to again. And again. Mm-hmm. Hey, Jonathan, what story are you telling about your life right now? So good. Is it possible that God is telling a different story? Because so often we tell our story from a position of weakness. We do, right? Even, and I know this as a two who, who goes to the unhealthy eight, when I'm trying to exercise my power, I immediately look like a toxic bossy eight. And so even in trying to access power, I do it in powerless ways and blame everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's like, okay. I actually just have power. That's just here. I don't have to, I don't have to even like claim it or reach out and take it though. Those may all be poetic language that we, that we can use. I, I actually just get to choose right here and now what's next. I could pour myself another glass of this fine bourbon and ask my wife, would you mind picking up the children? Or I could even go as far as calling the school and tell them something has come up and I cannot pick up the children. They will need to walk home and they will walk one kilometer and they will be fine. Um, this is a very silly example, but I feel like even again, just being on holiday mm-hmm. and realizing because, because partly we were in places with people mm-hmm. whom we never had money before because we were students and we were broke as heck. Okay. And it was so weird to be in Helsinki and other cities with a bit of money. We're not loaded by any means, but we could choose to go to that restaurant if we wanted. We could choose to do this thing. And actually still working in my own self and my own kind of poverty lack mentality and being like, Jonathan, would you like that? You are allowed to have it. You are allowed to choose it. There is nothing wrong with choosing it. And, and it was, I think, our first day in Helsinki. I, we were walking through this market and I walked by these fried fish that I put on my Instagram because they're very finished and they're very weird. And basically they're like tiny little kind of like sardine things okay. that are fried in, in, in a big pan with salt and you eat the entire fish like a French fry and you'll get a, you'll get a plate that's half fried fish and half French fries. And you're eating the entire fish tail eyeballs and that whole thing. Amazing. And it's just a salty, crunchy, delicious treat. Amazing. 15 years ago, my palate was a lot more limited. I was poor. I did not always love trying new things. And because I was poor, I was always so worked up about if I don't enjoy it, it will be a waste of money. And I will feel that I have made a bad choice, which makes me feel like I'm not a valuable, wise, smart human being. So it comes back to, am I being devalued? Yeah. And I walked past Mm -hmm. and I got about two or three stalls down and then I said to Maya, actually, I would like to go back and buy some muikuya. Yeah. Okay. And I was like, she 
just said, okay. <laughs> so weird. Meanwhile, Maya's like, okay, whatever. Like, what do you want? You're on a holiday, man. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, the universe is coming into alignment with my plans. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, all of my examples are about food and drink because again, this is where I'm living in this space right now where I'm like, everything else is meaningless. Just find your people and walk down the road and do the thing that's in front of you and feast. Yeah. I had my, my daily prayer book, my Celtic daily prayer book for today. One of the readings was this piece from George MacDonald which I almost shared with Jonathan Martin, but again, I just, it's in the same vein. Sorry, what, say that again, piece from who? George MacDonald, the Scottish okay. poet and children's author and theologian and one of the major influences on C.S. Lewis. What God may hereafter require of you, you must not give yourself the least trouble about. Hmm. Everything he gives you to do, you must do as well as ever you can. That is the best possible preparation for what he might want you to do next. If people would but do what they have to do, they would always find themselves ready for what came next. Oh my goodness. That is beautiful. So, like, so walk out of the holy city. Yeah. Stay. It's okay. <laughs> and I think that's the beautiful part. It's okay. I remember when my husband and I were at like a crossroads five years ago, we just kept getting prophetic words of like, there are no wrong decisions. And I remember mm. being like, that is not true. That goes against everything I've been taught. Get behind right? me, Satan. Yes, exactly. It's like, well, I'm good. I can't step out of the will of God. I can't step out of like what God has written in his book of life about me. And anyways, I just, there, it, as I've walked that out and literally we came to the place where we're like, no, we just actually have to make the best decision for our family in this moment. And the decision to make gives us the most amount of peace, which I do believe is Holy spirit. Um, I've realized I'm like, we have a redemptive God. If not, if God is pursuing us with love at all times and will redeem and liberate all of it. Mm -hmm. So why not? Like, why not do like, why do we put God in a box to be like, no, unless we make one decision or do one thing in the right way or sacrifice everything that we have done or everything that we can, then only will we encounter God. I love when Jonathan Martin talked about, I don't often find God in the climbing, but in the falling, it's mm. not in the striving to find the divine that we find the divine. It's in actually just falling into that place of love and just belonging it's like, oh, okay, you're here too. And I can just be. Seriously. There's yeah. a lyric from John Mark McMillan coming to, uh, coming to mind. Have I tried to scale your walls in vain? Mm. Were you here beside me this whole way? Yeah, it's good. It's so good. Yes. All right, friends. Thanks for being here. <laughs> I feel like we end up at this point where it's like, okay, now I just need to sit with this. I can't actually talk about it anymore. So yeah, thanks. <laughs>